What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we review one comic and only one comic. Yeah! Because Pete requested last week, he said we were uh, talking about too many comics. Too many. So instead, uh, this is a big announcement. Going forward, we're going to review one comic, which is that one comic where Dokken kills Punisher. Uh, And we're going to review that every week. Same comic. The same comic for the rest of our lives. We may alternate it with Until the one Until we get to the bottom of it. Yeah. Why Why was that an issue, and why was it so awesome? Why did anybody make that? It was great. It's we not called about- The Stack. It's called The Bump. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We're going to talk about a lot of new comics that come out this week, and we're going to kick it off with a big one, The Human Target, number 12 from DC oh, Comics, written by Tom man. King. Too bad Justin's not here to talk about this one. Oh, wait! Hey, I- I got no news way. for you. Hold on. Hold I on. Know. You are hepped up today, Pete. Written by Tom King, art by Greg Smallwood. This is the final issue of Human Target, wrapping oh. up the whole mystery. Lots of questions here. We're definitely going to get into spoilers because I don't think there's any way of talking about this issue without getting into spoilers. But, Justin, it sounds like you were very pleased with how this wrapped up. I mean, I've loved this series from the jump and the fact that it ended in a place that I don't I didn't see coming. And we sort of shifted our focus from um, our main character to another character that is maybe the maybe has been the main character all along, which I really appreciated that with a nice twist ending. Beautiful art by Greg Smallwood. Super type bananas, the art it is. Oh, sorry. I've been gone for two weeks. I thought we stopped all that. <laughs> no, 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 it's still going. No, no, it's been it's going. It's going been going. Uh, uh, great. But I, I do think this is, if you haven't been reading this for some wild reason, despite all of the recommendations we've dropped, pick this up in trade. This is a perfect comic book oh. from the first issue to the last. A perfect it is. Uh, I don't want to repeat everything that Justin said, but it really is. This is the sort of book that Tom King was born to write. He wow. crushed it in terms of format and pacing. The characterizations were phenomenal. It was emotional by the end. Like Justin said, the twists were great. And Greg Smallwood knocked it out of the park with some art yeah. that I would call Petite Danana. Ooh, you know, nice. Yes. nice. Nice. There you go. Yeah, I well, was, let, let me... Let me also say just real quick, Pete, hopefully you're going to be positive, but you never know with you. You're what we call a wild card. The way that uh, this book both did the sort of noir storytelling while also servicing the superhero side of the story, I thought is very hard to do and very rare to to see. And it crushed it. I I think sometimes with Tom King, it can come off as a little bit like – uh, sad or dark or, or depressing or weird. Both. This uh, did things in a way that uh, was super impressive as far as like keeping us guessing by giving us enough information and letting us kind of lead us down different pathways. I was really impressed with how this ended. And then like the last issue really did a great job of like reiterating how great it was in such a nice way. I was super mm. impressed with this. Um, it started a little weird for me, but man, did it stick the landing. I was, I was just really blown away by the artwork the whole time. Um, but man, what, yeah. what an adventure, what a ride. Definitely worth checking out for sure. There's no question. 
So to get into spoilers, I want to mention a couple of specifics here, and I'm curious to get your guys' bead on one of them in particular. Some things that jumped out to me just in terms of the plot. So Human Target, ostensibly, as far as we know, dies in this issue. Ice is there when he passes away. She is tasked with dumping his ashes and passing on his legacy. Ultimately, by the end of the issue, uh, per his wishes, it certainly looks like she poisons Lex Luthor like was supposed to originally happen, sort of bringing that to a close there. Um, great scene with Guy Gardner on yeah. a ice flow where once again he gets one punch knocked out like the classic thing from back in the day in Justice League International. So that was a very fun callback here. But, Justin, you seem pretty sure he's dead. I'm not so sure. And... Oh, interesting. Well, in what way? You're, you don't think he's dead in this book? Maybe I'm misinterpreting this, but there's the scene in the Italian restaurant where she's talking to the dude. Oh, Billy used, Joel. Yes, Scenes Billy from Joel. an Italian restaurant. There's a bottle oh, of red. Bottle, bottle of red. red. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Down East, Alexa, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, no, there's the dude at the Italian restaurant who kind of looks like Alfred and has worked with uh, Christopher Chads before. They're talking about his legacy and how sad it is. And how he could have worn Eddie face, but ultimately they use some phrase there. I'm sorry. I'm forgetting exactly what it is. But at the end, Ice uses an Italian phrase as he's walking away. But he looks back at her and smiles and says, really should have learned Italian. That would have sold it. The impression to me there, and I don't think it's definitive, and I do think you could take it other way, is that that is Christopher Chats. Um, yes. And believe me, I was looking for that every which way in here. Uh, the, here are two reasons why I I want it to be that he did die. I think the ashes, breaking the bottle of ashes over Guy Gardner's face hits yeah. so much harder if, it it, if he does die. Yeah. Um, th- this is a black label book, so it's and there's no continuity worries here. It's just purely about the story. Uh, so, like, I think that's better. And the fact that this scene that you're talking about is happens at the beginning of the story uh, that makes me think it's a strange spot to put a reveal that your hero is still alive um, over the course of the book. But having said that, I love it as a story element because it makes us think. A B, it is sort of like. Everyone that uh, Christopher Chance was around, he affected them and made them into these believers in create injecting mystery into the world and being able to be different people at different times. I love that as a philosophy. And I feel like this guy's embodying his philosophy is the way I took it, where he is saying like, yeah, oh, we're all sort of playing a game. We're all doing a dance here. And I think in this book throughout this, the run, it's been our does ice love him? Or are they just doing a dance? And you feel like he loves her, I feel like, the whole time. But he's always sort of dubious no, of her. I don't her. know about that. Well, I, that's what I thought. That's my interpretation. There that I think the moral here is the real human target is our hearts. Oh, I would agree with that. Oh, thanks, Pete. Wow. Well, anyway, really I, yeah, I mean, Sorry, I think I that's on all, a T-shirt. I think that's all well said, Justin. I ultimately think it sort of doesn't matter which way it goes. He could be alive. He could not be alive. It's up to you and your interpretation, and I think that's pointed. I'm glad that they didn't make it explicit, but it does feel like the sort of book where Tom King probably knows the answer there. He may or may not say, but I think it's important when you're doing that semi-ambiguous sort of thing that it's clear there's a direction, 
And ultimately, regardless, it's about ice, like you said in this last issue, and that really works. Yeah. Why don't we move on to another book, Rogue and Gambit, number one from Marvel, written by Stephanie Phillips, art by Carlos Gomez. This is the first major book that has shown this fan favorite couple, as far as I'm aware, since this X-Men reboot with Krakoa. We're finally getting to see them together and alone and working together, albeit with Manifold to solve a new mystery that they've been tasked with by Destiny. Uh, And... Uh, the big thing that I'll throw out here, I think it was Stephanie Phillips did Exterminators as well, right? And Love. Which was great. She's sort of eking out this side of the X-Men universe, which is the raunchy, drunken side. And I'm very much yeah. enjoying that. Yeah. Um, I love that side. I love Exterminators. The only thing that – why is Gambit such a doof now? Remember how he was so cool. Back in the day, he was coming in. Yeah, but well, I think people have had he's time throwing to, cards. Yeah, are but that's you the thing. People about Gambit, have, or you're talking about yourself, Justin? Yeah, exactly. I think people have had time to like sit with Gambit, <laughs> and it's like clear, like he he plays with cards. You know what I mean? So you know, he charges those cards with um, kinetic energy, with potential energy that converts into kinetic energy. It's uh, huge. He's Pete, a science-based I like character. I made a good burn, and then you were like, I don't know, playing with cards is lame, but traditionally the. <laughs> Everybody was like, ugh, at Vegas, lame. Have you ever tried throwing a card, Pete? It's very not easy. I like the Rogue and Gambit relationship. It is one of my favorite romances, not just in Marvel comics, but in comics in general. I think Stephanie Phillips really gets it across here. I would love even more of it going forward. A lot of time is spent with Destiny and Manifold and all these other characters who are very fun. And Carlos Gomez draws some fun superhero comics. Um, But when it comes back to it, it, it's tough. It it is compared in my mind to, I believe, was the Kelly Thompson series that was also Rogue and Gambit. That was phenomenal and really dug into the relationship. We're not quite getting that here. We're getting Goofy Goofmatron with both of them. So I'm still having a good time, but I want to dig into them a little bit more. Going I think uh, Steph is killing it on this. I feel like this is a real uh, oh. great uh, package here with writing and art, um, making a mm. uh, fun couple even better. I thought this was like could have gone either way, but I was really impressed with the choices that they we're making, uh, especially right off the bat. A lot of action. It's fast moving. I loved it. Give me some more romance between these two. Make Gambit cool There's again. There's plenty of time for I that. Say. There's plenty of time for oh, that. What do you mean, in life? I'm going to make you a hat that says that. It's going to be a red hat that says make Gambit cool again. Purple hat, oh, maybe? Oh, cool. I'll wear it all the time. I'll wear it all the time. No questions. Uh, I don't know if there's plenty of time for that, Pete. Life's short. What are you talking about? Oh, I'm just saying, like, listen, we can build up to it. You know what I mean? Make Pete ever, cool do again. Do you ever see those, like, those memes where people list... Famous people with ages and like Harrison Ford didn't start until he was 35. This person didn't start until they were 45. Mm. It's never too late. I always see that. I'm like, well, at a certain point, it's going to be too late. Oh, wow. Look That's at you. Wow. Okay. So, okay. Spoiler. <laughs> okay. Mr. Internet over here. Phantom uh, Road, number that- one from Image Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Gabriel H. Walta. This is a wild mashup of dual style road book mixed with zombies and alternate realities and other things. I've already mentioned too much about the plot because it goes on so many wild turns here. We've talked a lot about how as much as we like Jeff Lemire's book, they often feel very sparse. This is also sparse, but 
it is leaving room for some balls to the wall action that is going on in these pages. And I love this book. This was easily one of my favorite of the week. Pete, I'm curious to hear from you. I definitely thought of you when I read this because I felt like this would be right up your alley. Was that uh, correct? Agreed. Yes, this was such a badass comic. It also had like a weirdness to it that I really appreciated coming from the art. I I thought that it was such a cool tone that was set for this comic, a great world that was kind of built here. I'm very excited to spend more time here. It seems insane, but man, what a great ish. Great ish. Uh, Gabriel Walta loved the art, the same artist from the uh, Tom King Vision book, right? Oh, wow. Um, I love, love this art. And I agree with you, Alex. Like, it's been a, a big complaint of mine that a lot of Jeff Lemire's books, I feel like, what did, was there a comic here? Does this just the air in my Oh, hands? come on, dude. Uh, but this no, one no, feels listen, like listen, I mean, give I, it a fucking. To be clear, and I think Justin's probably on the same page as me. Great ideas in there. He works with phenomenal artists, but it really is like this puff of a comic when you're reading it. Oh, go no, and fuck like I, And I'm being I'm being too harsh because like I do like them. Like uh, what, I forget the name of the one with the animals. Was it Primal? Yeah, uh, where they were going into space great. and all that. And I, I love it. Great. But every issue, I was like, I. It was just like a little <laughs> bit of a dream. Yeah. And sometimes this one, it's nice to have a dream in the middle of your stack. A dream in the middle of my stack. That's no, right. I'm uh, no. I'm here for the business. I'm uh, a business reader. Boo, I want stuff boo. to be happening. Well, then you must this, have loved. You must have loved the next issue we're going to talk about, which is ninety. Oh, just solid give me pages. one second. Oh, yeah, just give me one second because I don't think I'm going to love what you're about to say. Because <laughs> Phantom Road number one does have a lot of great business. I'm super intrigued by what's happening. We get two characters here that um, are interesting. We don't learn much about them but i'm on board with the way they are and i love there's just some great cutaways and cutbacks where that's like okay here we go again and that happens like a couple times in issue one so stuff is happening shazam fury of the god special shazam elite matters number one from dc yeah. comics written by zachary levi dj Cutrona, and colleen duran faith herman and amanda dybert tim seeley david f sandberg and scott collins ross butler and josh trulio grace caroline curry adam brody and kenny porter and henry gaden art by freddie williams the second erica henderson jorge corona scott collins andrew drillin damian fulton mark norton and scott Galuski. This is exactly what you think of it is, is from the title. It's not main continuity DC Shazam family. It's literally for the movie and it's working with people who act in the movie or wrote the movie or produced the movie. Here's what I'll say. I, I want to say something nice about it first. Wait, wait. We've got to be clear. This I was hoping this was going to be a really fun kind of campy uh, thing about Family Matters. It's not. Um, no, it's not. Yeah. Thank you. Family Everybody Matters, the TV that. show? Yeah. That's right. Uh, mm. Well, I'm sure that DC, when they put Stretch. this out, said, did I do that? And they found <laughs> out. So there you go. Do you uh, have any ch- big red cheese? When I saw this, I don't really like the first Shazam movie, and I really don't like Zachary Levi. He is like nails wow. on the chalkboard to me, to be perfectly frank. So oh, God, what I, do you mean? You didn't like Chuck, Chuck at all? 
Yeah. God. Uh, you didn't like Chuck. He's trying, and I say this as a podcaster who is definitely doing this as well. He is trying so hard all the time. Yeah. It is very annoying. And Except for with his vaccination takes. He's not trying super that's hard. That's also that. bad. So <laughs> I was very not into this and didn't want to like it. But here's my compliment here. What DC did, and I didn't look up the editor, and I'm sorry about that, they stacked the deck with this book because they they took all the people that, like, should not be writing comic books and paired them up with great writers, awesome artists, and essentially put together this collection of stories that are a series of stories about the Shazam characters from the movie falling through a series of doors one after the other. Yeah. Which is bad, but they are well-done stories regardless because yes. you've got, like, Tim Seeley. You've got Kenny Porter. you got story, Josh Trulio, Erica Henderson on art. Scott yeah. Collins. All these people who are great. So... I was very begrudging when I was reading it. Pete, though, for more positive, it sounds like you like this a bit yeah. more probably than me and Justin. Yeah, I mean, I, I was thought, sort of a member of the Shazamly. So the there was first off, let's back up the truck a little bit. There were just some great covers, um, but I thought that there <laughs> is uh, they did like a great job of giving you so many stories. There's definitely something for everybody in here. The second story about Darla was great. The the art in the third story, the big game was really great. Uh, the Eugene one was really good as well. I felt like there was a lot of different styles and a lot of different uh, uh, stories in there. So if you uh, like Shazam at all, you're going to walk away with something that you're going to appreciate. Uh, nice. Real nice. I don't know about that, uh, because reading this and reading, uh, rem- remembering re- reading recently the great Shazam series that focused on on Mary that uh, came out, I want to say, like three weeks ago. They ended three weeks the ago. The new champion is Shazam, yeah. Yes. And and the other other stuff that's been going on Shazam has been so interesting. And this, to me, was a bit of a, like, especially the first story, I was like, oh, this is almost... Insulting to reading Shazam. This is almost like, <laughs> oh, you like that stuff? That's not what this is. Uh, well, so good luck. Um, and I agree with you, though, that there are some good stories in here, especially in the, the art yeah. is good, especially as it goes on. But it just, I don't know how to how to make these books that can somehow f- have some fluidity between the great storytelling that's happening and some other titles in the Shazamly uh, while releasing this book that is clearly meant to um, draw in some fans of the movie that I guess there's a movie coming out in the Shazamly, a Shazamly movie. Yeah, I think so. The, my big problem, and I know I was joking about this before, but seriously, the idea that every single story is a different member of Shaz- the Shazam family. I'm not going to say Shazamly because that's stupid. You can. Yeah. It's a These shorter did. way of saying. You just said it. Ah, oh, god damn it! The so they have this uh, hall of doorways that take you to different dimensions. They establish mm-hmm. it in the first movie. Almost every story is a different member of that family accidentally tripping and falling through a door, which is very weird. It is a weird repetition there. But at the same time, again, if you're looking, DC clearly was tasked with like, we got to put something out for this. 
And kudos to the editorial team here because they did a yeoman's effort with putting out this book. It's also, again, 90 pages. So you're going to find something that you enjoy if you're looking for it. Agreed. Let's move to another book. It's a little bit shazam as it goes on. Fair enough. Let's move to another book that I was not ready to like and was a little pleasantly surprised by. Curious to hear from you guys. Yes. Hollow's Eve, number one for Marvel, written by Erica Schultz. Art by Michael Dowling. This is spinning off of the storyline from Dark, not Dark Rain, Dark Web. Dark Web. There you uh, go. Introducing a character, Hollows Eve, who used to hang out with Ben Riley. She has. Dark Rain was the one about the junk, I think. About the what? No, wasn't it? Wasn't that? Was Spider Man Dark Rain? Wasn't that one? one no, we Dark Rain about? was the one where uh, Asgard. No, that was. Uh, Dark Rain was the. Line-wide labeling where the Thunderbolts were all villains yes, masquerading okay, as Avengers. Right. Okay. Green Goblin took over the, um, yes, the Thunderbolts yeah. and sort of ran the Avengers as well. Very weird um, that no person actually wrote that Thunderbolts title, but the art on it was very good. The Hollow's <laughs> Eve book, however, is surprisingly good. I don't. I was very weirded out by this whole concept when they introduced it in Dark Web, where she takes various Halloween masks and becomes those characters. It works here, and it yeah. sounds like it worked for you guys as well. Works really well. And let me say, you're talking about Spider-Man Rain, Pete. I didn't know okay, what you meant by you. junk, mm, and then I remember that yeah. you refer to penises as junk, and that's when I figured. Well, out Well, the what nice thing about, about junk is you can be talking about a female or male. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Junk is junk. You know what I mean? Oh, well, that's I feel great. Like, that's so I, inclusive. Thank you. Yeah, it's beautiful. Real ally, what a beautiful people. way. <laughs> Somebody's got to be way on to talk about any ass. Yeah. What a beautiful way to talk about that in any context. <laughs> uh, junk. Uh, and thank you for being my primary care physician as well. You really take care of my. You really take care of my junk. How was your junk uh, today? All right. Well, <laughs> let's talk about Hollow Eve. I love the start of this. I also really think it was. Uh, a cool way of doing the mask uh, so we can kind of see it in action. Um, the movie The Mask. Nope, nope. I'm talking about uh, the way that she uses different they call ass. Wait a me. Ass, right? um, oh. Uh, I also really like when she put on the ghost one and we got to see like inside uh, deposit boxes, which if I worked in a bank, I'd be looking inside every box because that seems like a ton of fun to do. And we got to see I don't think you collectible. Can. I don't think you uh, could do that. Oh, sure you can. If you work there. Nah, it's not like there's a key that opens all of them. No, it's not. Let's have some fun. See what's in those boxes, man. I mean, what else are you there for? Well, Um, here's the thing. If you're going to buy into that side of banking, you're going to have to be robbed every couple days probably too, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Anyways, uh, I just thought you you have a clown working a bank. If money falls on the floor, it's yours. That's right. Mm -hmm. Say it's like a three-second rule like if you work (laughs) at a restaurant. (laughs) Except for money. Uh, but you have to keep it in your mouth. That's the thing. The mouth. I really didn't think I was going to like this issue <laughs> as much as I did. I thought they did a great job of uh, having a lot of action and also a lot of cool art uh, choices in, in here as well. I was really impressed with this book. Agreed. Uh, Hollow's Eve in in Dark Web. I was like, I'm not sure she didn't do it a ton. I feel like, and I it, I couldn't quite tell what the point was. Also, the name Hollow's Eve felt like. 
a next door to what was going on. It felt it's so Halloweeny that I was like, this feels out of season. But it really works in this book. I thought the art was very good, and I'm definitely down to find out what happens next. This is yeah. a good sort of character that feels like villain, but does some heroic things. Almost black cat adjacent. Oh, Ooh, that's a call. sweet spot for you. Skull and Bones, sure, Savage sure Storm, number one from Image Comics, written by John Jackson Miller and James Mishler, art by Christian Rosado. This is a spinoff of the video game that I'm going to assume is called Skull and Bones. I have literally no context there whatsoever. But it follows two ships, one with pirates, one without, who both crash land? Is that what you say? On the same island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like yeah. a rocket. Sure. Crash Why into. Not? They yes. crash land. Anyway, oh. <laughs> they both oh. end up. The I same believe shipwreck island. is shipwreck. Shipwreck. That's there what I was looking go. for. <laughs> <laughs> they encounter some weird stuff on the island. Having no context for this, I was still kind of into it. I like the idea of all the mystical stuff. If you're a fan of. Pirates of the Caribbean franchises, I guess. I feel like that's oh a sweet God. spot here. So fun stuff for that. I mean that sincerely. Like if you well, like that stuff, let me there's say, ghosts and weirdness and pirates, and there you go. I recently wrote on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Oh my and God. that okay. thing What? What are you talking about? You're Disney flexing flex. us, bro. You're Disney flexing us. It's not that much of a flex. I mean, I've, I've said that, so maybe the first one was a flex. Now I'm just sharing a piece of my life with you, Pete. Okay. Um, the, 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 the Pirates did you ride, they've clearly changed. Did you do that? Uh, we did. My sister's a Disney head, and she sort of ran the trip for us. So oh, we were wow. hopping around, going into different things. Must be uh, nice. You need a pro. If you're going to Disney, you got to go with a pro because it makes it way better. But... Um, the Pirates ride has changed so much. It's clearly like a ride that was created at a time where they didn't really care about a lot of things, like a lot of wenches. There was a, they've changed. A, they've taken out the wenches. They changed an auction, which much for the better. Um, they've though they've added a bunch of Captain Jack Sparrows throughout, which is to me the weirdest part. Double down uh, on the sparrow. Well, no, it's also it's like well, you might as well take those out now. <laughs> Some things have changed with uh, Mr. Johnny Depp, so uh, pull him out. Um, but that's all to say, uh, piracy on the brain. This was just, having not played the game either, just some intense piracy, and otherwise I don't know too much about um, what the overall story is here. Yeah, I felt like the art uh, did a great job of kind of giving you a little bit of an old-timey pirate kind of feel to it. I think it, it made a nice, enjoyable tone. There's a ton of pirate action here uh, nonstop throughout, and it keeps piling on. You think like, okay, this is it, and then Pile there's more, and then more, and then more happens. So there's a lot of fun twists and turns in the action. It's uh, it's it's quite a epic uh, tale in this comic. <laughs> It feels like a lot of piracy was just flexing and just being like, I'm this guy. So watch out. Be scared of me. Because there's a lot of like, oh, no, that's that guy. And then you run. You're like, oh, it's this other person. Very intense. Yeah, I'll tell you what. This is probably the whole point of the book, but it definitely made me interested in the game. So as advertising, it worked. So there you go. Got you. Got you. Stargirl, The Lost Children, number four from DC Comics, written by Jeff Johns, art by Todd Nock. This is a big, and I don't say this meanly, exposition dump issue that explains 
so many things that have been going on from this island that these lost sidekicks are trapped on to who the evil chicken lady is to a wild reveal of the ultimate villain question mark of yeah. Yeah. yeah, certainly seems that way. Um, this is Jeff Johns and Todd Doc completely leading into DC continuity, but like we talked about a lot. I think this is here, Jeff, using his knowledge for good, I would say. Um, you disagree, well, Jeff. And let's say, well, no, I, I think definitely that. And I actually really enjoyed this issue. But it's Jeff Johns using a lot of the recent big continuity swings he's taken. Yes. Uh, very aggressively, where it's like referencing Flashpoint Beyond, which I was like, did a ton of people. Is that something that is really entering the DC canon, which I don't, I think Flashpoint is. Flashpoint Beyond feels less so. And, and there's a lot of stuff here that I was like, oh, this is very much circling the wagons on Jeff, the ideas that Jeff Johns is interested in. Uh, so that's very specific. But I do think a lot of them are interesting. And the fact that the focus on the sidekicks is such a nice little breath of fresh air um, in a lot of the larger continuity ideas here. And the ideas at play of like some of these people we haven't heard of because they were plucked out of the time stream and their continuity before they had a chance to make a mark is such like a interesting idea for a sidekick, which is all about feeling like, am I going to make a mark here? I'm just working for this adult hero as the sidekick. So I think the themes are incorporated in the story in a great way. Yeah, I thought this was really fun. Uh, I, I liked the kind of uh, last page reveal. Um, the art had a nice kind of like cartoonish feel to it, so it kept things light and fun. Yeah, I, I, I thought this was a great issue. Good stuff. Moving on to Murder World, game over number one from Marvel, yeah. written by Jim Zub and Ray Fox, art by Netho Diaz and Lorenzo Tometa. If you haven't been reading this, this is a series of one-shots that follow a bunch of characters in a squid game type situation where only one of them can win at the end and they're going to win a prize. It's being run by Arcade, and we'd be getting Marvel cameos, but through very realistic life model decoys. There's a pheno- uh, let me get into spoilers here, but there's a phenomenal twist right at the beginning. We got a cliffhanger in the last issue, the Black Widow, who's been tracking down Arcade, shows up. Uh, it turns out at the beginning of this issue, and I love this twist, she is also a Leif model decoy. It's not the actual Black Widow. I thought that was so well executed. Everything was so dark in this issue. And I know yeah. I said this with the last issue, and this is, again, spoilers. If you don't want to know, turn away. At the end, Arcade not only wins but gets away with it, and Black Widow is left with being taunted by Arcade This is, and I know this sounds over the top, this is something I have waited for my entire life as a comic book reader. 100%. Completely sincerely. You wanted Arcade to win your whole life. You ride with Arcade? I ride with Arcade. The and here, let me just explain it for a second. I know it's kind of like it's an insane, circuitous way of coming at it, but the idea that he works as a guy who's like, I spent probably millions of dollars setting up this murder world thing to kill people. And literally every time we see him, he loses. How does that work as a business? How does he make that work as a business? Avengers Arena, another great series by Dennis Hopeless, really got close Ah, to that in terms of showing Arcade as a legit villain who can get with this stuff. But 
it made me so happy. I read the last couple of pages several times just to be like, I didn't miss it, right? Like he actually won. He won here. Made me so happy. So thank you, Jim Zub. Thank you, Ray Fox. I am a happy comic book reader right now because Arcade won at the end of this crossover. I love wow. the idea of a tiny Alex Zalbin finishing up a fucked up bag of Oreos, <laughs> writing a letter to Stanley saying, but how does Arcade's business work? <laughs> how does he make money if he keeps losing? And they're like, this kid's taking this too seriously. Put a stop to him. Otherwise, he's going to lose his entire life to talking about comics, which he did. Oh, no. Uh, but I agree with you. Having Arcade win here is fun. It's unexpected. It is dark in a great way. We see sort of the protagonists that we're riding with suffer greatly. And then we're just like, later, we follow Arcade out the door in a way that I thought was really cool, like you're saying, Alex. And the door's open for more. Yeah, that's Arcade didn't win. He temporarily uh, put off his losing for an issue. Hey, um, newsflash, Pete. Newsflash, Pete. That's what winning is. I don't know <laughs> if you've ever found a, a sport of any kind, but winning is just temporarily putting off losing. Yeah, there's been until you get uh, to just the to Super check, Bowl. There's one football game that happens a year, and whoever wins, that's it. That, that's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah. I know I, we're getting cro- close to Ted Lasso time, so you like maybe re- reassociating yourself with sports metaphors, but you better soon because it's coming. And you got to remember what it's oh, like. Oh, anyway, this is a great crossover. We've also, on the negative front, talked about how it's very confusing to read because it's all a bunch of number ones. But I do hope, I, I'm sure Marvel is going to be collecting this. If you missed it, go back, read it. I thought it was a very fun crossover. Yeah, this is a and great. And it feels this, like. It's a gr- great issue. I thought that, like the twists and turns really were were kind of like, if you're riding for this and you're like, what's going on? This all really delivered in this issue and made it worth it. It was uh, It was a lot of fun to read this issue. Agreed. It feels like maybe this strategy of a bunch of number ones that you have to sort of find if you like it is something that's going to be continuing at Marvel. Boo. Mm. Let's move on to another number one, though. Buffy the Last Vampire Slayer special number one from Boob Studios, written by Casey Gilley, art by Joe Jaro, Maria Keane, and Leah Caballero. So I went through a bevy of emotions with this because uh, Sarah Gailey wrote Buffy the Last Vampire Slayer and is currently working on the Buffy the Vampire Slayer title or the Vampire Slayer title, excuse me, phenomenal. So I was really looking forward to this. And when I saw it was another writer, I was initially bummed. I think Casey Gilley did a great job. I think the team did a great job. What I am missing here, even though the characterizations are good, is the old man Buffy end of the world scenario. This felt to me like a good Buffy, the vampire slayer adventure without those stakes of vampires have taken over the world. What do we do next? Interesting. Weird. I thought this was such a great issue and I thought for sure you were going to love this. I felt like they did such a great job with the characters and the voices. It really felt like, the Buffy we knew and loved. Uh, also, this is a great jumping on point with this one. I think if you haven't been picking up Buffy for a while, this is a great uh, jumping on point. Uh, nobody wants to make fun of me because it's the number one. Okay, fine. I'll, I'll move on. Uh, no, I want to make fun of you because no. it's a one-shot special that takes place after a miniseries and may or may not be continued, so I don't think it's a good jumping on point. Oh, well, I thought it was a great and jumping f- on point. 
Just from my point, I like to make fun of you about stuff you don't expect to be made fun of. Ah, damn it. All right. Well, uh, yeah. Anyways, I I keep it fresh, babe. And I thought this was uh, pretty solid ish. Uh, It's funny, Alex, that you liked this less because I actually felt like it took some of the larger ideas from the other series and focused them up on sort of the internal characterizations here and really got into Buffy as a parent um, here and, uh, to Thessaly and taking a piss or something in the background there. Let's wait until he's done. <laughs> no, he's Thanks, like, guys. please don't talk while I'm doing that. It's very, yeah, yeah, yeah. Running sound effects of like, you're like an old timey, old timey hobo pouring a drink in a, in a community theater play. Uh, but what I was saying is like, I feel like this sort of solidified a family unit in a great way. And I would dip more. I'm not a Buffy guy, but I would dip more into this world. I really appreciate. And it's also, there's a lot of good jokes in this issue and it's, yeah, it's it's a very weird thing and it's very specific and I don't think it's totally fair. You know what? I do think it's totally fair, but I, I like Mm. this issue. I agree with you guys. Well done. Good characterization. If you like Buffy, you like this, but I would urge you to go back and read Buffy, the last vampire slayer, which I think had a very different tone and direction that I didn't necessarily get here versus this feels consistent with the show, which very weird criticism, but yeah, I don't know. Sweet. I'll ride with this anyway. It's you don't like it because it's like the show you love? Got it. <laughs> yeah, it makes total makes sense. sense. I don't know, man. I don't have a no, shelf full of DVDs behind me or anything. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, you about. do. Ready? Sandman Universe, Dead Boy Detectives, number three from DC Comics, written by Pornsack Pettishot and uh, art by Jeff Stokely. In this issue, one of our Dead Boy Detectives is down and the other one is trying to find out what is going on with these Thai ghosts in order to get him back in the game. There's a lot of romance stuff going on here. So I want to kick it over to Pete, our romance expert. Pete, what did you think about this book? Well, first off, we got to talk about the art. I mean, this is just... Some really next level art. I loved it so much. Super impressive. Also, the shading and the facial stuff. Really, mm. very, very cool. Um, uh, I, I just, I, I love the style of it. And, uh, this was a very interesting comic. I loved all the relationship stuff. It's, uh, setting things up in a nice way. I, I'm very much appreciating. Uh, this comic is a little, it's a little dense. It's a little like, uh, it reminds me of, um, books of magic. I think I've said that, um, in the past, but the issues that felt a little like wooden and hard to understand because I like a lot of the elements here and it just feels like it's not fully threading all of the needles. Uh, it does remind me of, um, runaways and maybe Mm. that's just me, um, connecting, uh, Tanya in this comic to um, uh, who has the staff of one uh, in Runaway. Oh, Staffy. You're thinking of Staffy. (laughs) Oh, Staffy. That's who it is. Nico. Uh, Nico. Nico. Yeah. Uh, So like like there's some good points here, but the story is just a little like when the character is like, no, this is what's happening. I'm like, oh, thank you for telling me because I don't know for a lot of it. 
I, I agree with you on it, but I will say for any of our listeners who have kids, I've mentioned this a couple of times, but I've been taking my kids to the comic book shop now on Wednesdays, which has been mm. a lifelong dream. But my oldest And is now you're 13. passing the torch. I am. Uh, they'll be on the podcast next week, and I'm going to start taking a break, so that's pretty good. The, All right. You retired? Thir- yes. Fresh I'm, blood. I'm out. A weird place to tell you guys during this Dead Boy Detectives <laughs> review. My 13-year-old loves this book. Uh, my 13-year-old is, like, very into Stranger Things. This is way gorier, I think, than Stranger Things. Uh. But, like, if you have a teen who is interested in comic books, I think this is a good one to hand them because there's, like, some romance stuff with teens. There's some gory stuff, which teens like as well. So... That's definitely working in that aspect. I'm on the same page as you, Justin, but just want to mention that for any of our listens, listeners out there who might be in a similar situation. Teens, am, or if you are a teen. Or if you are a teen. That seems impossible. Why would a teen listen to this? I am Iron Man number one from Marvel, written by Murex Ayodele, art by Don't Bad. <laughs> That was terrible. I'm so sorry. So this is a series. It's very different, but I would actually liken it to the Ant-Man series that Al Ewing did a couple months back. Where it's jumping through different eras of Iron Man and showing it in different ways. Here we get a wild sci-fi story of Iron Man in three different eras, which I was very surprised by and very into once I got a handle on the storytelling. But I was I was curious to hear from you guys. What did you I, think about this one? I was also pleasantly surprised. Um, I'm, uh, I kind of feel like I walked into this with my arms crossed a little bit, but like, all right, another Iron Man story. What's no. this going to be? And uh, I was super impressed by this. I loved the art style. It really gave, gave Iron Man a freshness that we haven't had for a little bit. So I was really... Uh, impressed by what they did in this issue. Uh, just kind of a different change of pace. The villain is weirdly hilarious with the whole guitar and shredding thing, but uh, it made it light and kind of really changed it in a way that uh, made it seem fresh and new. So I was super happy with this issue. Uh, yeah, I, this caught me off guard as well. I really love the art and I really love how the story is very different, sort of weirder than yeah. I would expect it. It reminded me of the uh, the Prophet series from Image, mm. not the mm. Rob Liefeld or uh, Fabian Niciaza version, the Brandon Graham version, which got into some of the deeper philosophical underpinnings of Prophet and the super sci-fi, uh, large concept thinking stuff. This feels like it has that, and maybe we're going to get a bunch of Iron Man stories that – Take take Iron Man out of like his uh, like Playboy ways and into sort of just like some deeper, more interesting places. Speaking of deeper, more interesting places, where monsters lie. Number two ah. from Dark Horse Comics, written by Kyle Starks, art by Peter Kowalski. This is continuing the story of a community of serial killers. Oh. Here we have a. Final girl slash guy who is coming back to the community as a cop now and trying to take them down. Things go horribly wrong in this issue. Pete, take it away. 
Yeah. I first off, I just want to say it's too bad we didn't talk to the author because it would have been nice to talk to somebody about the craziness that is happening in this issue, the building uh, towards such mania that uh, would have been nice to be able to talk to somebody about. Because it's this wild is- to bring that up because we actually had Kyle Starks on our live show and we talked to him not just about the first issue, but you ended up spoiling the second issue as well. So we oh, did wow, in fact man. talk to him. Seems about like this a fun issue. thing to go back. This- this very issue. Yeah. Go back and check out. Um, this was like a horror movie for me where I was yelling at the comic like, no, don't do that. What are you doing? Don't just monologue while everybody's getting murdered. Like it was l- killing me. And then, you know, uh, I really love the kind of wanted poster where you got everybody kind of like. Uh, with their name and kind of their deal a little bit. I thought that was super helpful because when Pearl, they put Pearl in the cop car with the innocent kid and I was losing my mind. I was like, no, what are you doing? Uh, this was, this is really enjoyable. Also uh, making my hair gray at the same time. So uh, this is a, they are really killing it with this book. The art well, and the storytelling are a whole nother level. First off, let me say making your hair grayer. Let's not get crazy. Yeah, here. So that's a good point. That's a good point. Thank you. But for that. Yeah. second, I love the idea that Pete Turn after the sand you read over the, here. I know. Believe me, I'm on the front. I'm a Doctor Stranging it. Yeah, uh, but let me say, Pete. I love the idea that you line up all your comics and yell at them like kids. Like, <laughs> oh, you over here. What do you think you're doing? You're scaring me. And then you, oh, okay, Spider-Man, you're going to come in here and act like that? Uh, I appreciate that. Um, And how is your lawsuit going reclaiming the name Fuckmaster from this comic? (laughs) I know that's an ongoing litigation that you have to deal with. Yeah, I'm not allowed to uh, talk about it until it's over. But thank you for Good. checking in. Ongoing, ongoing trial. Grand yep. jury. Uh, this comic is crazy. It's super violent. If you want to see uh, the bad guys win a lot in a, oh. in a row, pick oh. it up. Very fun. Blue Beetle Graduation Day number four from DC Comics, written by Josh Trulio, art by Adrian Gutierrez. We are reviewing the English language version, though there is a Spanish language cool. version out there as well. This is continuing the story of Blue Beetle and a bunch of other colored beetles all clashing. We get an investigation into exactly what is going on here. And spoiler, but by the end, Blue Beetle really screws things up. And now Batman is on yeah. his tail. Like we talked about with the previous issues, I think this is a really good follow up to the classic Blue Beetle series and a nice tee up for the movie coming later this year that we know nothing about still. So I am enjoying yeah. it quite a bit. I agree. I really like the like almost airbrush kind of art style that's very vibrant and kind of jumps off the page, really gives everything a nice kind of tone to it. Uh, I really love the kind of Batman tease where we had the Batman poster in the kids room. That was really a, kind of a cool uh, foreshadowing that we got in this. I think this is a lot of fun and they are, are killing it. And uh, I feel like this was a really cool uh, ish. It is strange we haven't heard almost anything about the Blue Beetle movie. Just like a couple little facts. I agree. Or like a costume reveal or something. It's weird. Something. And do you think they're worried from an insect perspective that Ant-Man dropped off so hard the second weekend and they're doing another? The name of the movie. Hey, hey, hey. Take it easy with that. Take it easy with that. And the other Blue Beetle Quantumania. So it does seem like a concern. Also, do you want to say anything about the uh, the comic at all? Or are you just going to talk shit? It'd be badass if they called the movie Blue Beetle 
also Quantumania. <laughs> in your face, Marvel! Yeah, we're doing it too! We Did can you, get small too. You want to say anything about uh, the comic? Th- yes, I will. This Thank, thank you for you. keeping me. Thank you, P. Always on patrol. Uh, always <laughs> keeping us on the guardrails. This comic is fun. This issue uh, in particular felt like a middle middling issue. And I mean that. um, I know you hate that. In the worst way possible. Jesus Christ. I I mean that in the in the normal way where it's like the next issue is going to be super good. I've liked what has come before. And this issue is sort of moving those pieces in place. Makes total sense. It's in the middle because it is in the middle. It's number four. Yeah, I I agree. I I found this to be very super middle bananas. Let's move on. Talk about (laughs) Cosmic. Ghost Rider number one from Marvel, written by once again Stephanie Phillips, art by Juan Cabal and Jonas Hodes, Jonas Sharp. Wait, this good. is two stories of the cosmic Ghost Rider, who, in case you don't remember, is Frank Castle, the Punisher, who is also a Ghost Rider, who is also a Herald of Galactus, who also worked for Thanos. The weird thing about both of these stories is. There's a bunch of dreamlike stuff going on here where maybe he's Cosmic Ghost Rider, maybe he's not anymore. We don't know. Pete, you're losing your mind, so go for it. Yes, this is absolutely fantastic. I'm so glad Cosmic Ghost Rider is riding again. Uh, it's such a fun idea, and I'm glad that other uh, writers are exploring this and Marvel's letting them play. Uh, we got two great stories in here. Really fun kind of playing with the audience and some uh, amazing lines here where we kind of get uh, Ghost Rider just being a complete badass where there's the uh, the line where he's like, uh, you know, obviously it was a dream. I would never hesitate to pull the trigger. Uh, such a badass line. Uh, but yeah, the second story is a little bit more kind of tripped out and you get a lot, uh, a lot of different cool cameos and stuff in there. Uh, yeah, uh, man, what a, what a great package. Uh, two amazing Ghost Rider stories for the price of one. Uh, this is a hell of a, hell of an issue. Oh, wow. They made me pay twice. So, oh, uh, I'm sorry. No. Wow. Bummer. Weird way to they. find out. Yeah, <laughs> I would charge the, uh, you twice. I like this issue. I like why well, at the at the counter. You're just like, sorry, sir. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. Like, you went to Cornell. You got to pay twice. Like, wow. All right, Cornell tax. I get it. Yeah, I'm smart. Let me ask you, Pete. How would you find out? Do you ask everyone what their um, higher education? You can tell. Uh, you can tell. You can tell. I also, yeah, right. to be fair to Pete, I walk around everywhere holding my diploma in front of me. I appreciate that because a lot of times I'm like, did this guy even go to college? And then I'm like, yep, there it is. That's why he has a giant backpack when you see him. So he can put his diploma in there. He's got all the diplomas he has. (laughs) (laughs) That uh, Phoenix University. University of Phoenix. Gotcha. Well, you major in welding there online. This book is good. It's very fun. The Cosmic Ghost Rider is such a weird character. And I like that character. But the idea, Pete, this is directed at you, no surprise, that you love grim and gritty Frank Castle from Normal Continuity somehow turns into Deadpool Ghost Rider is insane. It's insane. (laughs) I want to see the progression where he goes from being, he goes from saying nothing but like, I'll kill you. To later he's like, I'm going to make some jokes tomorrow when I fly my (laughs) ghost. My ghost bike around well, but, is like just to, truly not to, crazy. Not to interrupt your bit here, Justin, but this was the thing that kind of threw it's me. Not about a bit. This, this is real. Oh, okay. Is this is off that 
as well. This is more in line with, it doesn't remind me in terms of the art, but it feels like it's almost going for a Jeff Lemire Moon Knight vibe in terms of what is reality, what is actually happening with Chris mm. Ghost Rider right now that potentially we're going to follow down the road, which is not what I was expecting from this book. I was expecting Ghost Rider, Deadpool, who also happened to be Frank Castle back in the day as a twist just to kind of throw it in there. And that's not what this is at all. Um, it's a little See, bit more I, of a Western, which is kind of fascinating. Yeah, the art which is, is cool. good. I, I liked it. It was just, I don't know. I had a hard time getting a handle on what it was. Well, that's the fun of it is they kind of like keep it where it was left as a character that's kind of like, wait, what? But if you think about it, if you really took a hardened person like Frank Castle, then like set his skull on fire as he kind of drove through the cosmos flying around. You know what I mean? You're talking to yourself in the space yeah. for a while, then you start doing yeah, it. Clips. Makes you get into yeah, comedy. Yeah. Well, yeah, it makes you get into comedy. We, we all have a comedy background. That's what you do in an improv 101 class to really get people out of their comfort zone. Yeah, yeah you, you set, set their, their skull on. on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's a torture. Uh, it's a torture situation. Well, like, I, though, I, let me just say this. I feel like the reason Cosmic Ghost Rider is Frank Castle is the same reason that, um, that Homer Simpson is chosen in the monorail episode to be the captain of the monorail after their after the training session where they were like what's the weirdest answer here frank castle how about <laughs> uh, and because who who created cosmic ghost was it jason aaron donny cates donny cates donny cates it, it feels like it was very much a, a an arch writerly choice and here we are now being like yep makes total sense that frank castle uh war toward pstd <laughs> stricken character is flying around space making jokes there you go. Yep. Radiant Great. Black, number 22 from Image Comics, written by Kyle Higgins, art by Eduardo Fricate and Z. Carlos. In this issue, we're following one of our two Radiant Black characters as they head to L.A. to try to sell a script. Justin, you were just talking on our yeah, live show about... Yeah, you're L.A. Justin, bro. Let's hear Justin. about it. <laughs> you were talking about how much you like the Clayface issue that focused on L.A. Yes. This does that as well. Maybe not quite as dark. What did you think about this one? Uh, well, first off, let me say, Clayface, one bad day. Get out there and read that issue. You've Great stuff. Reiterating, but reiterating that you never know who's listening to one or the other. But this, this is like very. It does feel very LA. This feels like a personal story uh, that feels real. Um, it felt so real in that um, I felt anxiety reading it as it was going on. Like ah, you could just take the deal and then just sort of work around the situation so that you could then get the story to move forward. It's like definitely feeling the LA energy of it being like, well, we could work out this deal if we just, but for character reasons um, and maybe the right choices, right reasons. Uh, our guy doesn't take the deal that is offered to him because of all the personal situations with his former friend, the girl that he dated, um, and now he, the, his friend is dating. Great drama here. But I will say I found it interesting, the landing place for it with, I got to move to L.A. Yeah. Did that hit home? Yeah, it was no, that real? No, I was surprised. It did. I'm like surprised that the character made the choice to, that uh, he's going to move to L.A. It'll be hard to – it's hard to share anything but sharing radiant black powers bi-coastally, not easy. 
I do love this dynamic, though. I will say, having two characters who are both sharing the radiant, Kyle Higgins is doing a great job of hey. playing a really interesting dynamic with both of them. And this is a surprising issue. It's very inside baseball. It feels like Kyle Higgins is probably writing about his own experiences with L.A. But yes, I like every issue. It's a good title. Yeah, this continues to be just absolutely uh, a fantastic title. And each issue, they they do such a great job. I really there were some really funny lines in here. Um, You know, I like that. uh, What was it here? The. Unless you really hate uh, the storage hut. I thought that was a really funny line. Uh, Yeah, it continues to be building out this world and giving us great character moments with a ton of action. The art is such a kind of like anime uh, cartoon streamlined thing. It's just it's fantastic. It's uh, it's really solid. So uh, this continues to be uh, such a must pick up. The Riddler, year one, number three from DC Comics, written by Paul Dano, art by Stevan Subic. We are continuing the slow march to link up to where the Riddler was when we found him in The Batman, the movie from a year ago, two years ago. I don't even remember at this point. Wow. Time, huh? Bottom. Anyway, I'm going to just repeat what I said with the previous issue. It was a year ago. It was a year ago. Sure. What? This uh, series is great. They are doing such a phenomenal job of making the case for why the Riddler saw himself as a hero, why he identified himself with the Batman. Uh, I, I love this book. I'm kind of floored at how well it is done, both for the writing and particularly, Holy shit, it was only a year ago. particularly for the art yeah. perspective. Uh, yeah, I think the art's fantastic. But the fact that we have Paul Dano, an actor, um, writing this book that feels like it is so steeped in comic book storytelling, like really well done. And especially the fact that it's a prequel where you have to link up with a pre-existing story with the movie, that's extra hard. But I think it is doing a good job, like you're saying, Alex, of really staying true to these ideas of like this guy's obsessed with Batman, Batman's his hero, which is Attention, we're like, well, he's going to be your enemy shortly. Um, so that's hard. And the tension that, like, there's a lot of talk about Bruce Wayne. We know who Bruce Wayne is. That our character doesn't. There's a lot of things that we know that our main character doesn't. And when a character is the Riddler, whose whole thing is, like, knowing stuff that we don't and tricking us, it's a tricky writing problem. And I think Paul Dano's doing an amazing job with it. I th- I agree that he's a great writer and it's uh, surprising and and fantastic. Uh, the the problem for me is uh, the Riddler. You know, this isn't my Riddler, and so the fact that they took this huge swing in the movie, Jim Carrey. Yeah, uh, no, no. Uh, it, but now that they're kind of like really uh, staying with this, it's making me a little nervous. It just is such a kind of like darker version of the Riddler. It kind of like got this really stalker, creepy dude thing. And it's like, we don't need the Joker and the Riddler all to be these fucking creepy ass guys, but uh, whatever. Um, the art's great. I mean, I think they're pretty creepy in general. Because they're always like, somebody riddle me. I'll also say to provide a contrast between this and not to be totally rude, but you take a look at this where Paul Dado is clearly, and we've talked about this before, clearly like put in the work thinking about, okay, here's what the Riddler did and here's what led up to where I was in this movie that was 
very like clinical and thought out versus the Shazamily matters thing where Zachary Levi is like, yeah, this is what mm. comics are. We can make a bunch of flat hacky jokes and throw it in there. Right. Roasted. Dude, there's I mean, a just... huge difference between these two books. And it's both like, I don't know. I think it's fair for us to talk about as people who've read comics for a while that a lot of times actors are like, yeah, I was in a superhero movie. I could write a comic. Paul Dano is putting in the work here. Like this, well, it's, if I didn't know it was Paul Dano, I'd be like, great, this is a by Carrie Vertigo book. And it's yeah, that good. Oh, great call. I agree great with call, you Alex. that Paul Dano is a great writer. I'm impressed with his writing. But it's also like he just did his research for the character and they're publishing his Bible that he made for this character. You know what I mean? And this is That's my where- Riddler. And this is the Riddler going forward in the main continuity of DC comics. And I think that's wonderful. And we all agree. So no, nope. move on. Yeah. Somebody riddle me. <laughs> oh my God. Spider-Man Unforgiven, number one from Marvel, written by Tim Seeley, art by Sid Cotian. Uh, from the prophecy that Justin put forward earlier in the what? podcast, looks like that's we right. have yet that's another right. crossover that's a bunch of number ones. Here we're getting a bunch of vampires in the Marvel Universe. They're all hotness in the Marvel Universe now, who are all trying to be better and trying to be superheroes. They mix it up with Spider-Man next issue. They're mixing it up with somebody X-Men. else. X-Men. X-Men. And so we're probably going to follow them over the course of this mystery that is plaguing them. What did you guys think about this? I think this is cool. I feel like we don't get a lot of things like this where you lead with a new idea for a super team or a group of superheroes. Uh, Tim Seeley uh, bringing it with these characters. I think they're well thought out and interesting. Get Spider-Man in here. The twists that happen at the sort of middle end of this I thought were great. Set a nice little mystery that we don't have any idea what the solution is. And then knocks it over into like, hey, buckle up. We're going to deal with the X-Men. Of course, Jubilee just came off being a vampire for quite some time. So it makes yeah. perfect sense. I Excuse me. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. I mean, that Tim Seeley guy really knows what he's doing when it comes to writing. Um, it, it was a little weird where I was like, okay, it's uh, Spider-Man Unforgiven, but then also the title was Horror Stuff, where I feel like we should have, like, because when I hear Unforgiven, I think of like the Western or the Metallica mm-hmm. song. And so then it was like Unforgiven, but Horror Stuff. So uh, I, I thought like it was a little weird about that, but other than that, I was really impressed with this as an idea, and I thought they did a great job of world building and then flushing it out to be like, and we're going to continue this in a unique way. So, uh, cool. This see, when me, I see Spider-Man, when I see Spider-Man, I think of the boots that my younger daughter's classmate was wearing today at school that lit up. So that's where I had a stop. Wow, like, that's very, a, very specific towards you, but okay. A, but that's what I'm saying. Like, you thought one thing. And I thought this other thing. So it was hard for me to be like, oh, this isn't a kid's boot. This is a comic book. This to me, and I don't say this derogatorily, seems like a 2000s era image comics book where they're like, we're a bunch of vampires who want to be superheroes. Let's go be extreme. But Tim Seeley, like we're talking about, Great writer, knows how to handle these characters, knows how to flesh them out. So if you're going to get somebody to kick off that sort of thing, I think that works. It was fun. I enjoyed it. But 
At the same time, I hate this place. Number six oh, from yeah. Image Comics, oh. written by Kyle Starks, art by Art Yam Toplin. In this issue, our main couple who owns a house with every horrific thing that possibly could happen in the same house have become very ambivalent about it and very lackadaisical. However, we get a side plot that works its way in in terms of a cult. Um, I think it's fair to call it a cult that one of the yeah, characters was even in a commune. Yes, comes back to haunt her. It's terrifying. It's scary. Uh, I've said it before. I hate this place. I love this book. Wow. I also love this book, and I feel like they found a whole new way to inject horror. Uh, In the first run of this title, it was like every horrible thing is happening at this house, and they're stuck here. And we saw all that play out. And now it's like, well, turns out their personal lives maybe were also horrible. And finding horror in that place and making it very human while at the same time smashing that together with um, the fact that they live at uh, the center of ghost house uh, ghost county house management situation is very cool and uh, I like I like the new angle and this new arc that we're getting to uh, I I hate horror so uh, I hated what was happening in this comic because of the fact that it's so fucked up and scary and that fucking preacher guy hopefully will die a horrible death but it's uh it's very intense in a good way that horror things are so i think people will enjoy that the art is absolutely fantastic action comics 1052 from dc comics written by philip kenny johnson dan jurgens leah williams art by rafa sandoval leave weeks and marguerite sauvage The front story is continuing the arc of Metallo fighting against the Superman family. And then we get two backups, one from back in the day, showing the time when Superman and Lois moved with a young John Kent to Smallville. And then another backup showing Power Girl, who now has psychic powers to go inside people's brains and help them out of problems. Uh, Beyond anything else... This is a great magazine. I know that's a weird way to put it, but Ooh, yes, it's like, I like 50 that. pages long. And I was just we've already been getting this mode with DC, which I think is very smart given the price of comics. And I know that's a calculated way of looking at it. But with having a front story and a backstory, I think that's good. That gives added value, but it also pays for like you're paying five bucks, six bucks for a comic. You're going to get something out of it here. This is even more. This is starting to feel like a Superman family book, even more than Ashton Comics. And I love that. In a time when we were talking about earlier on in this podcast, you have Jeff Lemire books that feel like, oh, I read that in two minutes and I'm done. And it was very good, but there wasn't a lot there. This is value added to the value you're paying, and it makes it worth a customer's time. Again, a very calculated way of looking at it, but I really, really appreciate DC is doing that, and uh, I'm glad to see it. Well, and especially because I think this, each story is so well thought out, and it's so such a meaty story to bite into. So I love all of that. Um, I also love that I feel like Philip Kennedy Johnson is really creating a Superman family here that feels different than the Bat family. It feels like a whole new thing for Superman to be dealing with, uh, which is cool. And with Metallo, scare, they've plussed up Metallo to make him legit scary. Uh, the backup stories, the Lee Weeks art on the second story that Dan yeah. Jurgens is, is writing is so good. 
And then the Power Girl story is super interesting, very different art that's also great, but also like psychological and getting into different ideas of what it means to to be changing and to be a hero. Like this is just if you had, I don't know how much this actually with the price tag on this. If you have six dollars and want to make the most of it, to your point, Alex, this is the book that'll bring you action, great emotions, great character development, all at once. Yeah, I agree. It's a really uh, fantastic uh, package, and the I really like the metallo kind of stuff here, and it's also like. Uh, you know, I don't like to say middling and I won't, but I, it, it does a good job of setting things up for a future battle that's going to be really epic. Uh, I just looked it up. It is four ninety nine, which is a great value for this sort of thing. Oh. Holding the line at four ninety nine. Wow. <laughs> great ref, Pete. Pete. Love that. I, I do want to throw it out there and then, then we'll move on to something else. I, I hope this is successful because this really feels like not to be too over the top about it, this could be the future of comics, or at whoa, least the future. Whoa, no, 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 seriously, like, or at least juicy comics. Where, frankly, it feels like walking into a comic book store and buying a comic and plunking down four dollars for something that is twenty pages long. That is, and I know this is rude, but could be only five minutes of entertainment. It's Jesus not. Christ. It's not worth mm. it. Like. Uh, the writers, the artists, the editors have uh, inkers, colorists. Everybody has clearly put effort into it. But from a time to money standpoint, as a consumer, it doesn't work. Here, this is fifty pages of three stories that are all really solid. Even if you didn't like one, it's still like this is something that I could read through and sort of sit with for a while, and it feels like something that is palpable. It feels like something that is thick and. Uh, sticks with you for a while. So, so I don't know. I've been enjoying the same sort of thing. Like Wonder Woman, they have the main story and then they have the young ba- Wonder Woman backup story, yeah, which I think is great. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, do that with Wonder Woman as well. Add a third story, like really flesh it out, have a Yara Flores story or something. That makes it a really value added prospect. And I know there are costs involved that probably make it cost prohibitive, but this seems like such a smart thing to do. So, there you go. I know I've been talking about editorial directives a lot this podcast, but that's good though. That's the full genre. Fucking Cornell. Oh, <laughs> do you want me to grab my? Uh, I was going to say resume. I can't think of the word diploma. It would be great to have your resume. <laughs> you really intelligence. You really You guys still yeah. haven't asked me about my qualifications. Spider Gwen <laughs> Shadow Clones number one from Marvel, written by Emily Kidd, art by Ken Zama. This is not spinning off directly, but following up on the recent Gwenoverse crossover that happened here. We're getting, as you can figure out from the title, Gwen Clones instead. Uh, this is fun. I had a fun time. I agree. It is fun. And they're going Gwen crazy. You want more Gwens? You got it. You got Sand Gwen. You got uh, Doc Ock Gwen. There's all sorts of Gwens all over this piece. Uh, Doc So it's, uh, it's, they're just kind of doubling down on the fun of it. And I think it's, uh, you know, it's enjoyable. I love Earth 65. We don't spend enough time here. Uh, the original Spider-Gwen series I was a huge fan of. So to get this, which gets mostly back to that same energy and some of the different issues that were going on, is great. A whole new story where uh, we've got clones popping up. Um, I'm here for the ride. I like this. I want more Spider-Gwen. 
Koshki in Hell, number three from Dark Horse Comics, written by Mike Mignola, art by Ben Stenbeck. This is continuing the story of, as you can figure out, Koshki, who is the undying, who is trapped in hell. This guy never dies. Deeper and deeper into things here. I know I've said this every single issue, but it is great to see Mike Mignola delving into this world and every issue just because of like the little teases he put in there, I'm like, we need a new Hellboy title. Yeah. Please do it. <laughs> and as we much as I'm enjoying this, it's this anticipation of like, is that what this is leading towards? Is this the return of Hellboy? What is happening here? And it's not. I don't think it is. I don't think it is either. But I can't get past that when I'm reading this book. But well, I think that's what the idea here is. Well, I don't know. Maybe about this that. is it. This is just a fun. I'm saying, in the Hellboy universe story written by somebody who is known for something else. But uh, I don't want to take away from this story because I'm having a lot of fun with Kashki here. I thought it was such a cool thing. Uh, left off in a very interesting place. We only got one more issue. Each one of these have been a complete banger. I've been loving it. The art is just uh, crazy type bananas and just uh, just such a, a fun feel to it and uh, Crazy action adventure. I love all the twists. This has been, this has just been a blast. I, I think maybe, like you're saying, like we want to get a new uh, Hellboy. Maybe this is already happening. And instead of being like Hellboy with a lot of backstory, it's just like, no, he's got sort of a, a mustache goat situation and he's just uh, <laughs> bopping around. No, it's he a different character. We horns. want Hellboy. We want Hellboy. We Here's the thing, though. I don't know if you're going to get. We want Hellboy. No. To Pete, join him. No. <laughs> okay, we'll add it in. We'll add it in okay. a post. Yeah. I do I'm like Pete, this. And I want Hellboy as well. We, I do, I do I want, want Hellboy. I, I want Hellboy. Anyway, I understand well, what oh, you're saying yeah. here. <laughs> I don't know if it's just sort of fizzled off a little bit. Uh, great book. Definitely pick it up if you're into the Hellboy universe because it's uh, phenomenal art and it's good, weird storytelling. Well, and what I was trying to say is I feel like if you like the Hellboy storytelling, that's what's happening here. Like yep. this is a, a, a character, a hero, quote unquote hero, who is like, he can't die. He's trying to do this, accomplish his task. He's being frustrated constantly. He gets screwed over by a demon. Like this, this is a straight up Don't Hellboy story. It's just as a different demons. Demon. I'm looking at I you, totally Spider-Man. Understand you're saying. Don't I, fucking trust I, I know I said this about the last issue, but like, there's a difference between this and seeing Hellboy and the way that Mike Mignola left out the story. And maybe I'm forgetting it, but it was this BPRD phenomenal, enormous story where they're like, wow, it's yep. the end of the world. That's it. <laughs> and, yeah. And it's this feeling of like, what? I I appreciate the fact that Mike Mignola left it on his own terms, but him returning here feels like this tease of a thing we're never going to get. We might get it. We might get it. It could be all I'm building is, towards it. I'd say you may, I don't think you're going to get it. And if you do get it, it won't be for a while. So enjoy what you have, which is yeah. almost everything you want. It's just he's not red. So enjoy this. <laughs> How a big is demon. his fist? Does he have a big stone fist thing going on? Because I don't think no. so. He's cool facial hair. Hellboy just never had that. That's different than a big of... fist, Justin. You don't get it. You don't get yeah. it. 
You got it These right. Two Pete. small fists. Yeah, I, I wish you wouldn't say big fist, but yeah, it was. It, I do understand. Pete gets it. Pete, join me, Alex. Pete <laughs> gets it. Pete gets it. Is it? Pete gets it. Pete. There you go. I'm yeah. just pumping my fist. Captain America Sentinel of Liberty, number 10, for Marvel, written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, art by Carmen Canero. As Captain America and his team are being beset by MODOK, the mental organism designed only for control, who is taking over their memories. Another phenomenal issue of this book that focuses in on Destroyer, a.k.a. the character that over the past couple of issues, you're like, why is he here? Now we know why he's here. And it's now we know. a heartbreaking no, he's half the battle. issue. That happens over the course of the year, uh, continuing some phenomenal layouts from Carbon Carnero. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I love this book. Love this book. Love this overarching uh, tale. This feels like a new universe that we're being introduced to by uh, Lansing and Kelly. And I will say, apologies on the uh, on the live show. I said Jackson and Lansing, but it's Lansing and Kelly is the name I should have said oh, uh, on the Clay Facebook. So uh, my mistake. But the, this is a, just a great comic book writing team. Very excited to just read anything that they do, especially this book because I love the larger, deeper mythology that they're constructing. Yeah, this book has been really impressive. Um, uh, I'm, I'm a little mo- over Modoc'd right now after seeing Ant-Man, but uh, really? other than that, I feel like uh, this has been such a, an amazing title and uh, uh, really impressive. I will say it is I thought the wild. special effects were better in the book than um, in the Ant-Man movie. Oh, wow. Well, that's kind of what I was going to say is it's kind of wild that oh, they clearly like I don't know. I don't want to read too much into it, but it's clearly editorial directive of, hey, can you do a MODOK story? There's going to be MODOK and Ed Bad of the Boss Quantum Mania. So that's why. And they were he, like, hey, are you going to show a little butt? Is there going to be any butts mm-hmm. in there? Or? This is just the total opposite of what they do with MODOK in Quantum Mania yeah. in a wild way where. We talked about how terrifying the Modoc was in the last issue. They find a new way to make him terrifying in yeah. this issue that is yeah. traumatizing Great. if I was a kid reading this. But so well done. Such a good book. Definitely pick this up. Great. Breath of Shadows, number two from IDW, written by Rich Dueck, art by Alex Cormack. This is about a band who is heading in an army of darkness. Or not army of darkness. What am I thinking of? Anaconda? No. <laughs> yes. Sure. Let's go with... Uh, they're, they're doing an Anaconda and heading to find... I mean, sort of. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of an they're Anaconda. The... I was thinking of uh, the Francis Ford Coppola movie that they traveled down a oh. river to find Marlon Brando. Oh. Outer oh. Banks season three. Uh, Outer Banks season three. Outer Banks. Island of Dr. Monroe. <laughs> not the Island of Dr. Monroe. What's the... <laughs> movie it's a classic movie they play i'm uh, pretty Ryan. sure it's anaconda, <laughs> it's anaconda. <laughs> it's they play rise it. of the valkyries on the helicopters they're flying in platoon is apocalypse now? Now? maybe i'm thinking of platoon now but it's not platoon. apocalypse now the apocalypse now jesus oh. christ oh my god <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah it's i don't think ice now. cubes in that one yeah. Actually, now that I think of it, it's more of an anaconda. You guys take it away. I mean, it does feel more like anaconda. <laughs> uh, but Outer Bank Season 3, I think, is a fine guess as well. We'll talk about that later. Uh, 
This I, this story is is interesting. It's a little <laughs> weird. Uh, it's fun. I still don't know what the what the bugs are about. Right? Does anyone know about the bugs? No, we don't know about the bugs because they're trying to find some water that will make you see bugs. But he already sees bugs, so I feel like we might yeah. be getting some sort of circular storytelling on here that might not be abundantly clear until we get to the end of the series, but. The, uh, Rich Duak, always a very confident writer, particularly in terms of horror. Alex Cormack, yeah. wild over-the-top designs, particularly when it comes to the bugs. So definitely worth picking up for all of that. Why don't we finish off talking about Spider-Man number six from Marvel, written by Dan Slott, art by Mark Bagley. If you haven't been picking it up, this is the end of the Spider-Verse storyline. And uh, Peter Parker has been written out of the timeline but not completely. He's come back with no powers. He is working just as a scientist. Silk is the main spider of the 616 universe. Everybody is on their back legs here, but we get some big twists by the end that might change the Spider-Verse permanently. This is exactly what you expect from a Dan Slott, Mark Bagley comic book, and I think it is 100%, bless you, delivering on that front. Yeah, I agree. It's a uh, it's Dan Slott having a blast. You know, they, you got a, you got a lot of fun things in there. He even gets the spider buggy going, and that whole kind of like eight bit Lego looking one that just goes beep boop uh, is a, a ton of fun as well. So, Dan Slott having fun is uh, translates to fun. So great. <laughs> he's go- he's gone too far. Dan Slott's gone. Really? When he read the joke, Peter parked car. Talking about spider buggy. <laughs> I laughed. I was like, what are we doing here? Uh, uh, boo, boo. I mean, I don't, I'm not trying. I was mostly just trying to make that uh, joke. But like, I do think this feels like when you're a kid and you're late to the toy box and you're like, oh, I guess I'll just play with all the toys in the bottom of the box. Because uh, it does feel like we're digging How into some. How many toys some- did you have? I'm not saying nah, they're my toys. Okay. Now, what group of kids am I hanging out with? Are you, are you jealous? I don't know. I, I, just to contradict you for a second, and I'll talk about some spoilers for the book. So we have this wasp queen who is trying to turn everybody into wasps. She will be the queen. They'll be the hive. It'll be all one hive mind versus the spiders who are all their own separate thing. And the big revelation here is that Morlin and the other inheritors aren't these super strong vampire characters. They're actually slugs. They are slug avatars. Yeah. And it's, and I say this in the best way, it is the perfectly stupid, oh, of course, revelation that Dan Slott revels in. And I think it absolutely works here. Only Dan Slott could make this work in terms of a writer. Because if I read anybody else doing this, like I wouldn't get the sincerity that is coming through there. And that's what comes through in every page of this issue. That's what makes it work for me. That's why I enjoy it. And I think that's fair. And like you can tell that Dan Slott thinks deeply about all of this stuff. Like he may be the deepest thinker of anyone who's worked on Spider-Man maybe ever. That's because what like put out there. Why? Because like the depth at which he reaches and makes these connections between the different aspects of the Spider-Verse is amazing. Um it's just it feels like I want the story the story needs to I think either be bigger or like 
bigger in that we get more of it, we get more issues about it, or smaller in that it can be a little bit more focused. Because I guess for me, it was hard to keep my eye on the prize of the story, the backbone of the story, when we're jumping into Bleep Bloop Guy. Well, I think uh, a lot of that blue. is going to be how it all turns out next issue after yeah. the twist. So we'll definitely stay tuned for that. And if you would like to support our podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every we Tuesday do? at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Sometimes we talk to... I think to, we're doing it. Yeah, oh, we're doing we, it. Sometimes we talk to Kyle Starks, right, Pete? And we ask him about comic books. Oh, man, we should uh, talk to him more about the second issue. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen to the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, Comic Book Club Live on Instagram and Facebook, ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the Comic Book Shop. Never forget that Shazam Lee matters. No, boy. No, boy.